Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Welcome inside to the latest edition of Across the Cavs. Happy New Year. It's January 2nd. Another look into the time capsule of Cavaliers history, the 1990s. And prior to LeBron showing up, this is probably the best decade of Cavs basketball. Only won 50 games twice. They had some very good head coaches. They had some star players. Sports Illustrated at one point, we're going to get to later, even named the Cavs starting point guard at the time, perhaps the best in the NBA. It was a fun decade. They advanced in the playoffs twice under Lenny Wilkins. They had a couple of 50-win seasons. They had a point guard room that included Brevin Knight, Terrell Brandon, Andre Miller, and Mark Price. Mike Fratello came in as the coach. Cavs had one of the best six-year runs of any team as far as defense goes in the history of the game. Cavs brought Sean Kemp, who, by the way, we're going to get to this later. Sean Kemp was – people think Sean Kemp was, was in the twilight of his career when he got to the Cavs. He was only 28, so he still had a lot to show. He lost Brad Daugherty young, too young because of injury, but Big Z came in and made his debut. As introducing today's guest, to give you through everything 90s Cavs alongside myself. You catch him with King James Gospel. If you're a Browns fan, Dog Pound Daily, my man, Dan Gilinski. Uh, welcome to the 90s, I should say. Yeah, I'm ready to uh, raise the roof here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And the Cavs started off the 90s a little slow. They had Lenny Wilkins, uh, second, third, and fourth years. The Cavs found their way to the playoffs. They only won 42 games two of the years. They won 57 the other year. And it was missing. they were missing Mark Price for game one of the year where MJ hit the game five shot. They might not get to that game five if Mark was healthy, given how that series played out. But here we are, first year of the decade, 90-91. The Cavs finished 33-49, and 49, but I talked about this already. The big issue with the Cavs, which we haven't talked about it yet, mentioned it last week, was Ron Harper was starting to show that he was a very good ball player, and he and Mark Price formed a dynamic duo in the backcourt. You know, one, one's a small, shifty defensive guard. One's a taller, uses his body, and really gets in the passing lanes kind of guard. They traded Ron Harper for a number two pick from Italy, named Danny Ferry, and that was the first move that basically showed that perhaps winning a title just might never come to be, even though they had some great years with him on the roster. Yeah, it was uh, – did not amount to a whole lot. I mean, Danny Ferry was, was here for a decade, which is shocking in itself. But um, I, I think it was – Wayne Embry at the time, I think I remember reading that he thought it was there was something drug related with Ron Harper, I believe, and that was um, he didn't want there to be to take a chance there and thought there could be potential for ramifications from there, and that that seemed to be what stemmed from that, or I guess how that stemmed. Yeah, it was certainly an interesting chapter. And so 90-91 is really not much to say. You know, the Cavs won 33 games. Larry, Brad did their jobs. Next season was the season. The Cavs tied the franchise record. Actually, this was the franchise. No, yeah, they tied it, 88-89, same thing. Cavs win 57 games. They go 57 and 25. They make it to the conference finals for the second time in franchise history. Justin and I talked about when they got there. In 75-76 under uh, future champion head coach Bill Fitch, 
Honey Wilkins had them fired up. They had the number seven offense. They got past the Nets in four. They got past the Celtics in seven, by the way. The best yep. thing, perhaps? Yeah, that was Larry Bird's last game. His final game was a loss at the Richfield Coliseum. So, Cavs fans, you go to Boston, you see a Larry Bird shirt. Hey, did you know that uh, Larry Bird's last game was a loss to the Cavs? Bam! And then, uh, unfortunately, Dan. Uh, Ezra- How do you like them apples? Sorry. <laughs> Hey, well, uh, happy to bring – you know, we can, we can do a goodwill hunting uh, little re- recap as well because that's one of the best lines. Do you like apples? How do you like them apples? And I just sticks the phone number in the window. Yeah. Uh, great scene. But, yeah, Larry lost his last game uh, in Cleveland. And then, as was the theme in the 80s and the 90s, that Cavs just couldn't beat Michael Jordan uh, three times if it was the first round, four times if it was the second. They gave him a good push. But the Bulls won in six, and this was the farthest the Cavs would get all decade. And you kind of just knew. And this was the – I think it was the second championship the Bulls won. It was, yeah. It was. So they had already done it, and then they just wouldn't – you can't deny Michael Jordan four times. That's why Michael Jordan didn't lose a playoff series for the final – where he played the whole season, the final six. He basically six-peated with a year off and a late start the following year. So it's basically just like a rest year where the Warriors last year, they're not going to win again, but if they hypothetically ran it back, this would be the rest. Last year would be the rest year. If they had still had KD and they had Clay back, they'd probably win this year. They're not, but that's essentially what that was. And this was before he retired. They just couldn't answer Michael Jordan. If they even had magically stopped MJ, someone else would have stepped up because Phil Jackson's offense well, it catered to Michael Jordan. As you know, Dan, the triangle is something that it's, an, it, it's equal opportunity at times. Jordan's going to score his 40 points, but other players step up, and that's why they won with him and not with Doug Collins in uh, the MJ years. Right, exactly. It was, um, kind of allowed more tertiary playmaking in the system more. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean – talked about this last weekend they just couldn't stop MJ and I think it's a privilege as a as a fan of a team to look back and saw that they got to face MJ every year every mm-hmm. year after a heartbreak you know our, our older the older Cavs fans that we know we weren't alive at this time I'll always talk about it and it's like yeah MJ was a real thorn in our sides I mean yeah literally I, I mean that, that's a quote, a quote from Tim Alcorn said that a guy that Played for the Bulls, a special number 23, and for a little while, number 45 was the reason the Cavs just couldn't do it. I mean, it is cool to have a rivalry with the greatest player all time in your franchise history, though, right? I guess. It's consolation. Yeah, they – I mean, it's, in the regular season, it seemed like they did pretty well against them. And at least those – I mean, those games were often close um, in the playoffs. But uh, when push came to shove, you, you knew that – 23 was going to put the ball in the hole and it mattered. And um, defensively, he was, uh, came up with some big stops at times too. And um, I, I always just kind of consider the parallel um, of how LeBron, it seems like, and when he was in the East, kind of like what he would do to the Hawks often, uh, <laughs> that sort of parallel naturally. Yeah, he did it to them in the first round, the second round, and better yet, the best team in the league that year who had the, the starting lineup when conference player of the month. They were without one-fifth of that starting lineup. Tamari Carroll missed most of the series. Kent Bazemore filled in. The way that they just oh – man, it was – they, they broke a, a three-point record every other game when they played the Hawks for, for most makes. And we're not going to get lost in the present. 
but yeah. that was just incredible in, in and of itself. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. And now, Dan, that takes us to our next year, which is 92-93. The Cavs again win 50 games, a defensive rating of 106, offensive rating 113, slightly lower than the year prior. It was a very successful campaign. It leads to another playoff trip. Going against the old New Jersey Nets and their top pick, Derek Coleman, who had a very strong series, led the, he led all scores three times in the series. You know, Brad Daugherty was also a beast. Larry Nance had his moments. But here's my interesting trend from this is the Cavs would score 100 points in game one of the series with the Nets. It would only score 100 points in a playoff game one more time the entire decade. We're going to get to that. just want to point out how crazy that is. So just, just all the times they're in the playoffs. And look, now you don't score 100. Well, I guess this year's NBA is a little quirky. But like the, the Heat, I think the Heat Mavericks game last night, this is just the present, I think it was 83-73. Anyway, so then the Cavs get to the Bulls, and they, they lost game one. They got swept. I might as well just say they lost all four. They lost by seven, then 19, then six, then two. They were in it. The thing is, what separated the Cavs from the Bulls and why the Cavs couldn't stop the Jordan winner, you could say push off, you could say whatever you want, Jordan was a closer. As good as Mark Price was, as good as Craig Elo could be in the clutch, as good as Brad and Larry and all these guys are, the Cavs never had a closer. They lost game four by two. What if they had a guy that can get out there and hit a shot like MJ? Mark Price isn't, was never an isolation score. That's the only knock I can possibly give him for everything he did, Dan. And I think when you're looking at these three single-digit losses in 93 – which is the last time the Cavs would be in round two until a guy named King James showed up. If they had that closer, maybe it would have been different. Yeah, I mean, the, the way they played the game, it was very uh, ball movement centric. And, and not to say that the Bulls weren't. Um, but, yeah, when it was closing time, he was um, going to have the rock. And that's, that's generally what played out. But, um, yeah, they, they didn't – the only knock was they didn't really have a guy that could um, kind of make those contested shots when, when they absolutely needed it. And they had good solid shooters um, it, like Craig Elo was in that conversation as well. Um, and Price, we, we know what he could do uh, as a pull-up shooter too. But uh, in at times, I mean, if you have to go to that Dowry uh, Price pick and roll eventually, um, teams can kind of game plan for that. And it's, it's kind of what happened at times down the stretch there. But um, again, it's, it was one of those situations where it's, it was kind of just the best player on the floor um, made plays and, and often in basketball and in playoffs, that's, that's kind of what happens. Yeah. And that's just, it's unfortunate how it happened, but that's exactly what happened. By the way, I don't want to, don't want this to get lost. The Cavs in 1991, just quick little mini flashback. Cavs drafted a guy named Terrell Brandon, number 11. He was fifth in his draft class in win shares. He was fifth in scoring in his draft class. By the way, odd, very, actually kind of very sad nugget from the 1991 draft. Two players were, both killed way too soon. One during their career, but both during their career, by the name of Bison Deli. You may or may not know that name. He averaged 11 and 6. He was mostly a piston. He played for right. a few other teams. Yeah, he's an NBA uh, Showtime for N64. 
was murdered on a boat by his brother over a, over a woman at one and two, a guy who played for the Cavs who we'll probably end up talking about is, is a top 10 or 11 guy in the decade. Bobby Phils was killed in a, right. he, he was basically racing against David Wesley and completely just terrible crash. Yeah. Bobby Phils, by the way, was the 45th pick in his, in this draft from Southern University and A&M College, two schools you don't know hear a lot about. He's a very good player, and it's very sad that he had passed at age 30. But just two guys uh, sadly connected from this draft. Both were very solid playing careers. But anyway, we, uh, actually, anything to add on that, Dan? Uh, about We haven't gotten to Bobby Phil's time in Cleveland yet, but uh, what were your any, any takeaways from him before? You might not get to touch on it as much. Uh, I, I really liked him. Um, just a great player, um, very good guard defender. Uh, I, I just think in today's league, really probably would have been even more maximized as kind of a three and D guy. Yeah, no, no question about it. Uh, R.I.P. Bobby Fields. R.I.P. Bison Deli. So ninety-three, ninety-four rolls around. Cavs finished fourth in the Central Division. Yeah, uh, new coach. Mike Fratello, we're going to have a lot to say about him uh, throughout these next five, ten minutes. Mike Fratello, 47 and 35. The Cavs managed, it's important to note, to be uh, 12th in scoring. 101 points a game. They were seventh in points allowed. This is where the defense became <laughs> the name of the game. Mark Price was still the starting point guard at this time. Uh, they had Terrell Brandon still coming in off the bench. His minutes up to 21 for that year. Bobby Phils, eight points a game. Three rebounds that year. Uh, and then, you know, Larry Nance uh, was slipped a little bit. He actually got traded that year, I believe, I mean, to Phoenix. Oh, wait, no, no, I'm, no, he got, wait, I, I, nope, never mind. He was injured. Never mind. This was actually Larry Nance's final season. That's my bad. That's my bad. We, I, I never we talked about last week. They got him from the Suns. So Larry's injury gave way to more playing time for, you know, Hot Rod Williams. Chris Mills averaged nine a game. Tyrone Hill was a big part of this Cavs team. And Gerald Wilkins, Dominique's brother, started every game for the Cavs, averaging 14. So it was cool to see him thrive, uh, 1.5 steals. But, Dan, it doesn't matter who the coach is. You get to the playoffs, 93-94. Important to note, they played the Bulls. They scored fewer than 100 in all three games. They lost three times again. It doesn't matter who the coach is, Dan. They can't close. They lost three times to the GOAT by single digits. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, that's just how it was. And back then, I mean, we, as we kind of hit on indirectly, um, especially in a short series, if you can't, can't figure that out, um, how to get guys looks game to game, um, in crunch time, it's it's going to bury in. That's that's kind of what happened. Exactly. And it just couldn't stop Mike. Couldn't stop the Bulls. They score fewer than 100 in every game. <clears throat> Flash forward, 94-95. Defense was now the name of the game under Mike Fratello's watch that year. Number one. This is actually incredible. I'll let you talk about this stat, Dan, and we'll talk about the year. The Cavs were number one in fewest points allowed and last in the league in points four, and they still made the playoffs. Yeah, that's, that's something. <laughs> Definitely backwards, you would think. 
Yeah, usually if you if you score the fewest, you're going to lose every game. It doesn't matter what your defense is. I think the New York Knicks are going to have a lot to say about that and make a claim for the end of this season with how they're playing defense versus offense. But, but the Cavs averaged 91. They allowed 90. So you look at the col- any team in college basketball, they, if, if they ever have a, a average margin over a long slate of games of – one or two points, the chances are they're going to lose immediately when they get against a very good team. And, I mean, this year was interesting for the Cavs. It was Mark Price's final year as starters. Injuries started to play their part. And I think right. that the injury to Price, which allowed Terrell Brandon to finally start, allowed the Cavs to think, hey, maybe we have our next starting point guard. You know, Michael Cage, great announcer for the Thunder now. Very uh, energetic guy. He's played all 82 for the Cavs. Danny Ferry played all 82. Was a, it's another solid year from Bobby Phils. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hot Rod did his thing with the Cavs issue, obviously having a few lowest scoring offense. When Mark Price went down, their leading scorer hadn't had even been a full-time starter, which is not good. Sixth man of the year was not important in the 90s at all. You have to have a good starting lineup. And so Brandon comes in. Chris Mills improved as a scorer, but this – it good defense given that they only had one shot blocker at this time, but they get to the first round. They score. Here are their point totals in four games against the Knicks. 79, 90, 81, 80. And they lost game three by two points and they won that one. Maybe we would have had a game five, but whereas Dan in the eighties, the Cavs really couldn't win road playoff games in the nineties. They couldn't win any playoff games after those first two years. Knicks beat him in four. Yeah, it's uh, it, it just tells you that um, it, when you kind of have to manufacture production, I mean, aside from price to a large extent, it's um, just because of kind of how Brad Dorney, the injuries kind of plagued him, had to retire earlier than I think people would have expected. Um, that definitely hurt them as like early in the decade. And then um, Hot Rod was a, a, a really solid player. I mean, no, unfortunate what happened, but um, they pretty much had to rely on, again, manufacturing points. And you can only, in the playoffs, in terms of schematics, only scheme up so much stuff. And that's kind of looking back, that seemed to be that was kind of the issue. And if, if they weren't kind of um, forcing turnovers, they kind of had some issues in, in central offense. Yeah. Uh, it's just nothing came to fruition. And then the following off season, Cavs trade Mark Price to Washington for a first yeah. round pick. Fiddly Pata. Is, there, is it, it is Potapenko. Does he have a special pronunciation? I don't think so. I think that's how it is. Oh, Vitaly. Vitaly Potapenko. Vitaly Potapenko. I think that's pretty sure that's it. Yeah, first-round pick uh, who they got for Price. The cool thing about this trade was that Mark Price got to play with his brother Brent that season. The the not-so-cool thing is that Mark was limited to seven games due to injury. So, you know, that's not ideal. And so, all right, so that's that. We we covered that year, and now – uh, Dan, you have uh, you found an interesting nugget on Terrell Brandon, who now became the Cavs' starting point guard, ninety-five, ninety-six going forward. 
Oh, uh, you're talking about the uh, Sports Illustrated or? Yes, sir. Yeah, it was essentially during that, um, I think it was 95, 96 season, got his first all-star appearance and then um, was better really the following year. Um, and basically Sports Illustrated featured him on the cover at one point, nabbing him the best point guard in the NBA. So um, <laughs> you can take that with, with that what you will, but he was, he was definitely a fun player to watch. Um, not that I was really around for it a ton, but I don't know, just hearing what, how he played, um, just the tenacity defensively for a guy that was undersized, could kind of pick people up 94 feet, um, had really good vision, just was just an electric player, um, the open floor. And uh, it was kind of, I, I think he was in when the Cavs had the all-star game when they had like the 50th uh, top 50 ever team. I think that was, I think he was in that game too. So that's, that's kind of a, a cool nugget as well. Yeah, uh, it's Terrell Brandon. He averaged 19 points, three boards, seven assists, two steals a game, shooting splits of 46, 39, 89. Not too shabby at all. Cavs had an interesting starting five. It was Michael Cage, who yep. well, he, he was solid, but a, a huge step down from the bigs the Cavs had been used to. You know, when they had Larry and they had Brad. Dan Marley, sixth man, averaged 11 off the bench that year. They had Danny Ferry, who actually stepped up, 13 points, shot 40% from three on four attempts. Four attempts a lot back then. And then, you know, oh, yeah. Brandon, Bobby Phils, 15, four and four, stealing a half, he, 44% shooter. All right. And then Chris Mills, 15 points, five and a half boards, very solid that year. But to get to the playoffs, and the Cavs, by the way, again, lead the league in defense, 88 and a half a game. But they're 28th in scoring at 91 a game. And, you know, it's like we're just – we're playing a broken record again and again, Dan. But they get to the playoffs and get get this. So they had two close games with the Knicks. They lost game one, 106-83. They lost game two, 84-80. That's at home. They had home court in this series. And then game three, 91-76, a sweep. No, Anthony Mace, so three players in this series scored 23 in a game. So other than the Knicks scoring 106 in game one, the next two average – the Knicks average 82 and a half. The Cavs average 78 over the final two. No player scored more than 23 in this series. And Terrell Brandon and Dan Marley were the Cavs' only guys to score in double figures. Dan Marley made 10 threes at, in this series, which was incredible for that time still. Yeah. But – they uh, can't average 80 points in a playoff series and expect to win a game. Again, they just defense doesn't win. Defense might win in the championship, but you have to get there with offense. And they had none of it. Again. Right. And, and unfortunately, aside from Terrell Brandon, I mean, he was, he was a key scorer for him, clearly. Um, and him kind of being able to get to the line is key. But – uh, also didn't have a whole lot of playmaking aside from him. And uh, when he was off the floor, that was, I mean, he was, which was pretty rare in itself, but you have to have thought that he, he'd kind of be getting worn out as, as games progress, especially against teams in the playoffs that are going to be packing the pain, at least at that time. 
Exactly. And when Michael Cage and Chris, Chris Mills, I thought was a somewhat of a stretch big. I wouldn't call him a true power forward. Michael Cage was the only big. He was more of a power forward. It was rare to see a team that small. But we go 96-97, and the playoff streak hits its end, which is – so the Cavs dropped all the way to 87.5 points per game. I mean, just – Clank. <laughs> puking emoji. They didn't know what that was back then. And then yeah, yeah. what they did do, they allowed just 85 points per game, the highest mark in the NBA in 35 years because the Mike Fratello philosophy was don't let them score and maybe we'll score. I mean, that's kind of how it was. We look at the scoring leaders. The Cavs had five guys averaging double figures. Mills, Phils. What, they had, wait, the Cavs had starters. Mills, Phils, and Hill. That's great. Yeah, I was thinking that too. That was pretty good. <laughs> that's, that's poetry right there. They had Mark West yeah. finishing his career with the Cavs there. And Vitali didn't have a great rookie season. Six points, three boards. Bob, it might have been his second year, but Bob Sura coming in off the bench. Athletic guard, nine points, five assists a game. They had four guys averaging at least a made three, but they didn't score much. The Cavs are kind of like one of those college basketball teams in, in the Big Ten or the, the, pack, or the Big 12 where there's six, there's four, three or four really good teams, and then there's you who competes every night. You'll win a little more than you lose, but you lose in the first round of the conference tournament because you don't have that takeover guy. As good as Terrell Brandon was, I don't think he was a takeover player. He was exciting. He was still pretty young, only 26. But the Cavs missed the playoffs because they couldn't score at all. And I also think that uh, they, Danny Ferry at this point was 30. But Mark, this was a very young team. I, only having one vet and 36-year-old Mark West, I think they needed more age on this lineup, Dan. I think that they missed the playoffs that year because of perhaps inexperience. Yeah, I, I definitely hit the nail on the head uh, on that. And I'm sure it seemed like, I don't know, Fratello loved uh, eventually, uh, always talks about how Cavs, uh, in Cavs games, like, compliments vets and um yeah leadership definitely could have uh helped them in that sense but what was to come was would definitely help in that department it seemed yeah no no doubt about that is after that season it was a total overhaul with the Cavs so the lineup this year was Mills, Brandon, Hill, Phils and Ferry what happens 97 98 a lot happened in 97-98. The Cavs made a trade to acquire another pick when they, uh, the previous year, used it to get Brevin Knight. They drafted uh, Cedric Henderson. They drafted Zadrunas Legowskis. They got Sean Kemp and Wesley Person in trades. Brand new starting lineup, all five guys under 30. New look lineup was Wes Person, Sean Kemp, Brevin Knight, Seth Henderson, Big Z. Bench unit of Vitaly Potapenko. Bob Sura, Derek Anderson, Danny Ferry, those are the consistent. They had Scott Brooks on this team, who will probably be fired soon by the Wizards if things don't turn around. But here is we're going to talk about the 90s. Uh, Dan, some quotes uh, from these guys. Brevin Knight uh, talking about his time in Cleveland in the 90s. said, I still think of Cleveland as one of my homes because of the way the fans accepted me and my family. We had a young team that I hope energized people the way they did us. I wish they could have had more time together, but I always love coming back to the land. The Cavs will play the Grizzlies in a couple of weeks. And from said Henderson, Cedric Henderson, 
very exciting times playing teams like the Bulls, Lakers, and Spurs. I definitely enjoyed playing with my guys, Brevin, Derek, and Big Z, great group of guys. I mean, two solid players came into the NBA together. Unfortunately, one of them didn't stick. But those were two young guys that played very hard defense for Cleveland right away. Oh, yeah. Um, both just really hard-nosed. Um, obviously, with, with Knight, it was another kind of undersized one, um, even for then. But just a really bulldog defender. Uh, I, I think his first year, I think he led the league in steals, I believe. Um, but just was throughout his career was a really – um, heady player in that regard. Um, good team defender as well, uh, especially for his size, kind of got his um, body into positioning to make plays and really good passer as well. Um, for a young kid, then really manipulated um, plays out of the pick and roll well. Um, had, a, had a solid handle too. And yeah, with said, just a, a really solid defender overall and just kind of willed his way uh, to get baskets at times. And I just think it was a, a solid culture piece to have um, it, at that point as well. Yeah. I mean, how many teams at any point in the NBA make the playoffs with three rookie starters? I mean, shout out Big Z. You averaged 14 and nine with two blocks. Came a long way. Actually, fun fact, the three Cavs rookies. Actually, the Cavs only had one starter that shot threes. One, Kemp. I think Kemp was one for four on the season. Knight was 0 for four. And then, or 0 for eight, I should know. Kemp, I think, it, they made a one three combined. Actually, Ogowskis made one, it looks like. But he averaged zero attempts. So, it, it, they just, Wesley Person was doing all the three-point shooting. He was very solid at it. It was, an, it was a very odd lineup, no doubt. But, I mean, I think for the Cavs franchise, after what they had gone through the year prior, which is no scoring, to get a guy like Sean Kemp, I think that helped to energize everybody, Dan. Yeah, I'm sure that was definitely a, a ticket-selling move at the time um, for Gordon Gunn. But, yeah, he was he was solid. Um, they, they couldn't have – I wouldn't imagine have asked a whole lot more. He kind of carried them um, to, to a large extent and – even though he wasn't nearly what he was on Seattle at that, at that point, was still really productive player and defensively made made an impact uh, at the rim. And I think there was a little bit of bully ball left for him too, and just kind of found his way to the free throw line pretty often. Yeah, uh, no question he did that. An electric player. By the way, four-tenths of the NBA all-rookie teams uh, belonged to the Cavs that year. Also, had Derek Anderson was in his first season. Just the two on the first team, Z and Brevin. Two on the second with Cedric and Derek. I mean, four guys on the all-rookie team. And yet, and yet, the Cavs were the sixth seed. They won 47 games. And they even won a game against the Pacers in the playoffs. Not bad. Yeah, that was... That was not bad at all. Definitely uh, an all-time uh, coaching kind of job by, by the czar in that season, no doubt. Although my qualm continues, the Cavs' point totals in the four games, 77, 86, 86, 74. They won one with the 86, but they still – that's what, three straight trips to the playoffs without topping 100. In this case, they don't even – 
I think it was the second time in three trips they didn't even top 90. I just – the D was great, yes, but if you can't score points, then you may as well just all be Tony Allen. And that, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, – it's, it's just uh, – especially the way today's league is. Uh, even for them, though, just just a very clunky style that they had. And it, I mean, they kind of had to play possession to possession, kind of grit your teeth style. It's, it's not, it's not like the personnel really could amount for more than that, but it was kind of just willing the way to the free throw line and just trying to get transition buckets when they could. But it was, again, very clunky and, it's uh, yeah, it's it's tough to to win against playoff opponents when that's when the margin of error is is that low, unfortunately. Yep. And then Dan, uh, if we were uh, old enough to to be competent Cavs fans at this time, it would not be fun because after that we'd have, they have to wait all the way till January for the next game because of the NBA lockout, which made the season just fifty games. And, you know, five games into the next season, Big Z breaks his foot, doesn't return for two full years, missed the rest of this year, did not play the following year. Offense averaged just 86 a game. Although, while Sean Kemp had a great year, nobody else really did too much for the Cavs. But what was interesting, I think, about 98-99, by the way, the Cavs also slipped 11 spots in attendance from 14th all the way down to 25th. No one wanted to watch them that year when they couldn't score. What intrigues me is that the Cavs are 22 and 27, right? Let's say, Dan, they get a couple of lucky breaks. The Knicks made the finals that year with a 27 and 23 record. So the Cavs are only five games below the team that won the Eastern Conference. Well, six with 28, but neither here nor there. But, yeah, it's it was just an odd year, no doubt about that. Um, it's I, I, They were okay. It's not like they were – it's again it was just the lack of on-ball creation um and without z in there that couldn't have helped and unfortunately they again just is that same clunky style of play and it it seemed like sean Kemp initially kind of had to get himself back into shape based on what number of kind of the conversation was back then and it's they just couldn't get it going quick enough yeah they didn't rank too well in many areas it was an odd year and unfortunately uh, it was the czar's final season in cleveland so we look back by the way mike Ron mike fratell was an all-time nba head coach number 19 in wins i mean what he did but in those years Dan, he had to deal with injuries. He had to deal with Michael Jordan. He had to deal with, you know, then Reggie Miller. Just, it was never easy. But in the S, they never really advanced in the postseason under his watch. However, I still think it was a very successful run because I think he maximized what he had. And I don't think truly with the guys on that roster that any better results could have been achieved. Yeah, I, you, you got to give him credit for that. Uh, it's, Unfortunately, there just wasn't they, – they couldn't really seem to get that guy, if you will. And it was – I don't know, it was a little bit 
I guess I, I took the little Bill Fitch ask in the sense that they had a number of nice pieces, sure, but just never really could get over the hump because they really could have used another kind of perimeter slash wing score that could just kind of take over down the stretch because they're generally best players and a number of the decade were small, small ones that really weren't shooters. They were more kind of driving, drive and kick kind of guys and in night and Brandon. And um, it's again, Mark Price was a really good player, but was kind of on the back burner of his career there, at least from about, 92 on and once they didn't have the presence of Doherty it was you just kind of had to play um, a clunkier style there wasn't nearly the uh, kind of as sustainable game to game as they had it in the 80s when uh, they had that great ball movement and just the bigs were just kind of kind of just banger type guys. I mean, aside from Kemp for a few years, but um, again, they just, you can't only win with defense. You got to be able to convert when it matters. And they just unfortunately didn't have the horses for that. Yeah, it certainly didn't have the horses. You know, the, uh, the, the, the Cavalier attitude was not there. You know, they weren't, they weren't being the fight back then. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That's that slogan is just awful. I mean, they, they need to come up with something new. That well, just, the NBA took one of the hashtags, harder. though. So, I mean, maybe maybe, the, maybe every team has to read uh, it. No, we don't have logos yet. That's been I, – I, I think uh, I, I think the slogan – or the uh, logo is back because I, I, I think I used it the other day and I saw it. Is it? Let me, let's see. Be the fight? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's back, yes. Oh, it is back. Huh. Well, but they that definitely needs to be changed. It is just I'm sorry. It just basically says like we're not very good and we're gonna kind of scratch. Unfortunately, it's kind of for Telos. I feel like he might have came up with it. So do you do you have a, do you have one that we might suggest uh, improving? We'll send this to Cavs PR. Uh, I, I got to get back to you on that, but uh, it's it's fine for today. I'll, I'll have to think of it. Get back to you. And but, that makes sense. I don't know. It's it just seems, I don't know. I just say like we're bullish. I, I don't know. I don't have to get back to you, but we're young bullish. Yeah, maybe uh, they they get, they'll have to work sexually to do it somehow. But yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll table that discussion. All right, we will. As we we introduce the final coach of the decade, forty-year-old Randy Whitman. It's been yeah, yeah. You know, Five years in Minnesota. He was with Indiana. He was with Dallas. Got to the NBA assistant coaching ranks right after retiring. He was a fun fact. He had a, a starting backcourt mate with Doc Rivers in Atlanta. The two head coaching pals had the opportunity there in the 80s. You play NBA 2K, you go to the 80s Hawks team, you'll find both of them on the roster. And I think you'll also find Larry Drew, I think, on that bench, perhaps. And Cavs bring in Randy Whitman, and, you know, 99-2000, not the best year. They still bottom six in attendance at Gund Arena, now renamed by the owner. 22nd in points allowed, that was gone. They were 18th in points four. We look at the roster they had, Big Z missed the season. Leading scorers were Lamont Murray, Sean Kemp, and Bobby Sura. Andre Miller off the bench had a nice year. I think he 
became the starting point guard the following season. And then Wesley Person was in a bench role. Danny Ferry somehow still around. It was it was shocking how long he was here. <laughs> it makes no sense. Good for him, I guess, for finessing the Cavs. And then Earl Boykins. Uh, five foot five inch Earl Boykins appeared in 25 games, averaging five points and two assists. Uh, they had some. They had Mark Hendrickson, who also pitched in the major leagues. He was on the Cavs roster that year. And then future Chicago Bull Cornell David with. Uh, that's definitely not the pronunciation. Let me see. Real pronunciation. I'd say is he's from Hungary. I need. I need to get a pronunciation on that. He. Uh, he. Oh, he came from the Bulls. And then, but he was with the Tim Floyd Bulls, so no one wants to talk about that. Yeah, it's pretty relevant, admittedly. But yeah, this was a down year for the Cavs to end what was an overall very exciting decade. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, they kind of got what they could out of the situation they had. And I just, yeah, they kind of had to play that, uh, I guess, scratch and claw type type of ball and they did what they got what they could out of it but ultimately and no matter what era if you don't have guys that can down the stretch just kind of at least have two or three guys that in theory can go get you buckets um via kind of shot creation it's it's gonna be pretty limited but they at least getting there i think was kind of a feat in itself uh, and uh, closing note here, Dan, uh, NBA.com ranks the Cavs all-decade team as the following. The backcourt was Mark Price and Terrell Brandon. Frontcourt was Hot Rod Williams, Larry Nance, and Brad Daugherty. So that being said, do you agree with these decisions or would you change something? Uh, I think for this decade, I'd probably put Kemp as a guy instead of Nance just because uh, Nance wasn't as involved I, I don't think in in winning at least as much for the this time I think he was I would put him more in the all 80s team but I'm not going to make a huge argument either way I, I just think we know what he brought for for years for the Cavs but um, I, I think it's pretty fair all things considered and yeah it's it, it, I just still am shocked that Danny Ferry was with them for that long. It's unbelievable. Every time I see it. They should have just given him a boat ticket and said, hey, Danny, take this ticket back to Italy and get off of the Cavs already. Never, yeah. He never left. Yeah, he was – yeah. It's it's just shocking. But, yeah, I, I'm fine with that. I think the two guards are, are pretty fair. They were the best players of the decade for them by and large and yeah it's it's hard to i guess argue with that because there was so so little star power star power in that decade you would say yeah no no doubt about that uh, i like hot rod i would consider just consider either elo or phil's at small forward just for a more traditional lineup given the contributions they made but yeah phil's, phil's was kind of the one i you could maybe say um, that's fair too, but I don't know. I, I guess going with scores is is understandable. Yeah, the 90s is probably relatively easy. You know, if you look at the 2000s all-caps team for next week with, with Ben Jones, who we were on with with our other friend Rich, NBA UK fan, that's going to be a little harder to 
dissect what they did for the All-Decade team, but 2010's All-Decade team was basically the, the starting lineup they had for the, 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 the championship. So I don't think that's going to be too difficult to, to argue with. Yeah, I mean, unless you want to go with Ramon Sessions. but <laughs> He did um, with calves and wind shares. Can't forget yeah. that in a year. Yeah, that was – what a year that was. Wow. Yeah. But, yep. Uh, uh, Tyree, I, I think so. I, I don't think you. It might have been. I think the Kyrie was netted from Mo, I believe. Oh yeah, no, I'm just saying that that season. Oh was, yeah, yep. And I will say about Lenny Wilkins is that he won a championship with Seattle, very good for the Sonics, and then he had a good run everywhere else he went in Atlanta as well. But. What I like about him best was well, his final season in Toronto. He was with Toronto when they lost to AI and company in that crazy series. Lenny Wilkins' final season with the Raptors helped the team get Chris Bosh and eventually turn them into a better organization. I mean, he wasn't part of the Vince Carter trade, but he did – the losing season got them Chris Bosh. So, can't can't hate too much. Yeah, he was, he was a – a pretty good coach, I think, or, or I should say head coach, but he did also have a lot of talent around him or on his teams. I, I think, honestly, he's slightly overrated in terms of Cavs history just because I, I just question if, if he had the team Fratello had, what what would he have done? I don't – I mean, I don't know, just the lack of postseason success that, by and large, that they had with the talent they had and the scoring and shooting. Honestly, I don't think he was that fantastic of a head coach there, but um, definitely, I mean, it wasn't bad. I just, I don't think there was really a huge difference between him, him and Fertello. It was different styles, but I think it was frankly a better player than head coach. That's just my opinion though. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to add to that or agree or disagree, but I hear exactly what you're saying. You know, they had a lot of talent. Who knows if someone else could have hypothetically gotten over the hump, but at the end of the day, you know, you couldn't beat Mike. You know, you found a way to beat Larry Bird in a playoff series. You'd be very proud of that. The one that sent him into retirement. Beating the Celtics at all in the playoffs is something LeBron really struggled with in Cleveland. So the, the Cavs always – the Cavs finally started to get past the Celtics when they had a little more talent than they did. But the, the probably the most impressive playoff series win in Cavs history – uh, it, through the first three decades, perhaps you could argue was beating beating the Celtics might have been a little more impressive than beating those Bullets. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I just think with the first time, I it's it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, no. but, but I, I I definitely hear where you're where you're coming from. I get it. But as that'll take us to the end of the 90s, a look through the time capsule of the third decade of Cavs basketball. And a pleasure having my man, Dan Gilinski from King James Gospel, helping to take you back in our time machine. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again for having me, Zach. Um, always a pleasure to be on. So for Dan Galinsky, I'm Zach Wise coming back next week for the 2000s. That's right, 2000 and 2009. LeBron comes to town. The Cavs decide not to trade for Amari Stoudemire. And Big Z has quite the time in Cleveland. Probably the, my favorite quote. We're going to get to it next week. My favorite quote from the 2000s, Big Z. 
I will not play. As uh, the Cavs traded him to get Anton Jameson, he said, I won't play for the Wizards. My heart is in Cleveland. Sits out a month, becomes eligible to return, comes back to the Cavs, finishes the season with them. So on that note, excited to give you more next week with Ben Jones. We will see you then.